Well, wouldn't you agree with me that benefits are important? If you're going in for a job hire, you know, you're going to want to know what kind of benefits they offer, right? Do you offer health insurance to your employees? Do you offer life insurance to your employees? Do you get a retirement? Uh, do you get 401k? Do you get disability? You know, you, you might want to know, do you have paid time off? Do you get hol- what holidays do you get off? Do you get uh, sick leave, paid sick leave off, things like that? If you're a student, you know, you're wanting to know, do you provide any sort of tuition assistance? Do you work on schedules? Or do you have a sign-on bonus? You probably see uh, people doing like that. Uh, even some businesses offer health club memberships, okay? Uh, so that, that's pretty cool. So if you're looking for a business, and, and you know, if you're looking at two companies offering you basically the same salary package, what's going to make probably the deal breaker for you? One of them could be benefits, right? Uh, this one offers profit sharing and 401k, so I'm going to take that one and things like that. So benefits are really huge because we like our benefits, right? Because benefits, well, they're beneficial. Like if you eat healthy and you lose weight, benefits are you lose weight. One of the benefits are you may reduce or eliminate your medications or reduce your risk of cancer or heart attack or stroke or strong teeth and bones and uh, be an example to others. You sleep better. Your memory improves. There's lots of benefits to eating healthy, to losing weight. There's benefits to a lot of things in life. We always want to know what is the benefit. What can I get out of this? Okay, now... Let me just caveat this. When it comes to ministry in the church, don't go to a church and say, what can the church do for me, but what can I do in service to the Lord at the church, okay, for people, okay? Because we're here to serve the Lord and to serve each other. It's not about how many benefits can you get me. But here's the deal. When it comes to life, we want to know our benefits, right? I'm going to a social security meeting on Tuesday night, a dinner, uh, and it's going to be all about social security benefits because I want to know. Uh, someday in the next 40 years when I retire, uh, you know, hope to get some Social Security benefits if it's still there or whatever. So, you know, we want to know what our benefits are there. And you want to take full advantage of your benefits, right? Because if you retire early, you may not get quite all the benefits. If you take SSI early and all those things like that. And so we, we want to know our benefits. And a lot of times, let's face it, a lot of us have these insurance policies and things or even company benefits that we never knew about. Maybe you've been surprised and they found, oh yeah, actually your plan covers that. Oh, I didn't know that. You may or may not know. Maybe your dental plan, your plan covers dental or vision. You didn't know that. You've not been going to the doctor for a long time for your eyes or teeth. And reality is you could have gone the whole time. So it's important that you know what your benefits are. It's important that you know what you have that you're entitled to. As a Christ follower, God has given you some benefits. Isn't that great? It's a great thing. It's benefits. Now, the greatest benefit of all is eternal life, right? There's no benefit better than that one, all right? But it's important that you know your benefits. But what's even more important, too, before that, is you got to know your identity. We talked about that. Identity is everything. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know the benefits you have coming to you. Right? So you, you got to know who you are when it comes to God. If you want to know what are the benefits that a Christ follower is, first of all, you've got to know that you're a Christ follower. And remember, your identity is not something you just, just take on yourself. It's something given to you. Like in life, when you're born, your name is given to you by your parents. Okay, God gives you your fingerprints and your unique heartbeat. The government gives you uh, your ID and things like that. Benefit comes, or ide- identity comes from somebody or someone in authority over you. 
you. And so you need to know who you are as a person, like in the United States, to get your benefits of being a U.S. citizen. But you also need to know your identity when it comes to God so you know what benefits God has you. The problem is a lot of Christ followers don't know the benefits. A lot of Christ followers don't know the benefits of what we have in Christ. And if we don't know the benefits of our identity in Christ, then we're missing out on all sorts of blessings in our lives. And here's just a friendly reminder. We are in a spiritual war. And Satan does not want you to know who you are in Christ. Satan doesn't want you to know the benefits that you have of being a child of God. And, and one of the things that we've been pointing out along, if you are a follower of Jesus, in God's eyes, you are a saint. You're not a sinner. Again, let me qualify this. A sinner is a person that lives in unrepentant, habitual sin. They've never repented of their sin before God. They live in sin. The Bible uses lots of different words for them, sinner, ungodly, the wicked, the unrighteous. On the other hand, a saint is a person who heard the good news of the gospel. What's the good news of the gospel? That it starts off with the bad news. You're a sinner. All right? You're wicked and rebellion against God. God sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. He paid the price. All you have to do is respond and receive him as your Savior. If you will make that response to him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior and turn from your sin and turn to him, he will save you. And you are now a saint in God's eyes. So just, just to recap a few things. Satan's lie is this. You're a sinner because you sin. God's truth is you're not a sinner because God has declared you a saint. Now that's if you're a follower of Jesus. So Satan's lie is you're a sinner because you sin and God's truth is no, you're a saint. Why? Because God has declared you a saint. If you've responded to Jesus, you are in a new position. Paul refers to that place that you're in as a new believer as being in Christ. Okay, it's, it's like, I, I wish I had a thing, but it's like, it's like you're now in this bubble that Jesus is all around you and you are inside of Christ. And so Paul says when you respond to the gospel message, you have moved from being the sinner out here flailing. When you respond to the gospel message, you are now planted inside of Christ. All right, Christ is your protection. Christ is your shield. And so in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter um, one there. In Paul's letter to Ephesians, uh, he's been telling them, let me remind you of who you are in Christ. And what I'm getting ready to share with you, Paul says, is what God determined before the world was even created. God determined that those who responded to his, his offer of salvation, he would see them as being in Christ. And when they were in Christ, they have moved from being sinners to now saints. God has declared that person a Saint. So before the world was created, God predestined, God predetermined that this is how he would see those of us who respond to the gospel of Christ. And so when God looks at you, if you're a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ, and being in Christ, he sees you as holy. In other words, set apart. You're not a sinner. He sees you as blameless in Christ. He sees you 
as adopted into his family. He, he sees you as his child. This is how God sees you. And again, remember, folks, we don't deserve this. None of us deserve this. We don't deserve for God to see us this way, all right? And, and here's the reality. Even as saints, we still sin. Now, we'll never be on this side of eternity sinless, but we should sin less, right? We'll never be sinless on this side of eternity, but we should, as saints, sin less. And when you understand your identity in Christ, believe it or not, you will sin less. Because you will realize who you are and you can say no to, to sin. And you can say no to Satan and things like this. So God, before the foundation of the world, he says, okay. Even though I know these people in, my, in, in Christ, in my son, I will see them as being in my son. Even though they will still sin, I'm still going to see them as holy and blameless, not because of anything they've done, because of what my son has done for them. And that's how I'm going to see us. And why did God do this? Paul said last week, because of his good favor, because of his will, because he's a God of love. We don't deserve any of this, but God does that for us. So again, saints lies, you're a sinner because you sin. God's truth is you're not a sinner because God has declared you as righteous. Here's another lie of Satan. Your identity comes from what you have done. And he likes to do that. Oh, you did this in the past, you did that. No, no, no. God's truth is your identity comes from what God has done for you. And again, just like I said, God says you're identified by God as holy. You're identified by God as blameless. You're identified by God as adopted as his child. That's how God sees you. Now, you ever watch those old, time, old late night commercials? They give you all the things and right at the end they go, but wait, there's more. Well, turn to verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1 because there's more, more benefits. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, here's what Paul writes. We have and again, he's talking to the saints, he's talking to believers, he's talking to people in Christ. We have redemption in him, in Christ, because that's where we're at, we're in him, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now that word redemption is used in several ways in the scriptures. Let me show you one way. One of the benefits as a saint is we are identified by God as being free from the slavery of sin. As a follower of Jesus, you are not in bondage to sin. Now, you can voluntarily put you in that bondage, but you're free from it. Sin is no longer your master. There, there's a pastor, A.J. Gordon, tells a story of he was going to church uh, one day, and a boy uh, was walking by, uh, he was going to church building, a boy was walking by with an old rusty birdcage with a bunch of birds. And uh, pastor saw him, he said, son, what you going to do with those birds? He goes, well, I'm probably going to go over here to the field, and I'm going to play with them for a little bit, and then I'm going to go home and feed them to the old cat. And the pastor said, I'll tell you what, son, of course, this is a long time ago, I'll give you two dollars that cage full of birds. He goes, well, mister, you, you don't want these birds. They're just old birds, you know. They don't do, they can't even sing. They're just old birds. He goes, well, it's all right. I'll give you two bucks. The boy said, okay, yeah, you're kind of, all right, whatever. You're crazy, but go ahead. So he gave him two dollars. 
Boy went on his way. The pastor went out back behind the church building and opened the door. And those birds flew off. And the next Sunday, he was at church, and he was telling the story about the old song, the old birds he bought. And he said, you know, that boy said those old birds don't sing. But he said, you know, when I let them out of the cage, they sang the most beautiful songs as they flew away. And see, that, that, here's the point of that. That's redemption. He bought the birds that were trapped in the cage, that were headed for death at the fate of an old cat, a cruel death, and he set them free. He paid the price, gave the boy the two bucks, took the birds, set them free, and they were no longer in bondage. See, here's the deal. And this is important for us to understand part of our identity. You are not a slave to sin. You're not. You're free. You can say no to that. Have you all ever heard the saying, the devil made me do it? Y'all may have used that. Well, the devil made me do it. Well, let me tell you something about the old devil. First of all, he's a created being, which means he's finite. He is not everywhere. He can only be like you one place at a time. Now, he may be fast in the way he can travel, because he's not a human, but he is only in one place at one time. Right now, I don't know. My best guess is he's somewhere in the Middle East causing problems. I don't know. I don't know where he's at. But here's the thing. Now, he does have demons that work for him and all those things, but let's just face it. The devil probably didn't make you do anything. You chose to do it, right? We like to blame the, oh, the old devil made me do it. I don't think so. Don't give them that much credit. All right? But we use that phrase sometimes as if to say, I just can't help it. Let me tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, part of your identity is you are redeemed. You are not in the cage. You've been let loose. You are not under the bondage of sin. You're not in shackles. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8 when he's talking to the saints. And here's what he says, Romans chapter 6. He says this. He says, what then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Now, let me, let me just stop right here because a lot of, you have to remember when the church was started, there were a lot of Jewish people that were coming into the church and they were really struggling with this whole concept of grace. Because remember, if you grew up as a Jew, you grew up keeping the commandments. And we're not talking 10. There were 613 commandments you were to keep. Now, nobody could keep them all, right? But there were commandments dealing with moral laws. There were civil laws. There were ceremonial laws. There were 613 commandments. And then you got these Gentiles, that's us, by the way, if you're not a Jew, who were accepting Christ and they were coming into the church and the Jewish believers were saying, well, what about them? Look at all this stuff we had to do. And these people grew up happy pagans, you know, and they've received Christ and now you're saying they can come into the church. And, and what's this deal? I mean, they ought to at least become a Jew. I mean, let's make them start obeying the laws. I mean, if we had to go through it, they should have to go through it, right? And, and so a lot of the Jewish believers were like really struggling with this whole idea of these Gentiles coming into the church. And then here's coming Paul and John and Peter and they're saying, no, it's by grace. You were saved through faith and, and, and you don't have to, to worry about all the special feast days. You don't have to worry about 
about all the rituals and the law has been fulfilled in Christ. He fulfilled it. It's, it's, it's done its purpose. It's gone. Now you don't have, again, there were great things about it, but the bottom line is by grace you're saved through faith. And so there was a lot of people who were saying, oh, okay, so that means I can just go sin and do whatever I want to, right? Because God's grace. And so Paul's answering that argument. Shall we sin because we're not under the law? He's like, no, 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 no. You guys don't get it. Just because you're saved by grace through faith doesn't mean you have the, the freedom to go out there and sin. That's making a mockery of what Christ did for you. How can you go out and sin, and sin when Jesus paid for you on the cross? How can you trample on the blood of Christ and do those things? And, and again... But Paul says at the end of the day, you're freed from that bondage. You're, you're no longer having to live under the law. See, today, as Christ followers, we don't live under the laws of the Old Testament. Now, a lot of people uh, you know, who really try to come after Christians, they always dredge up those Old Testament laws. You know, Well, here, the reason we don't stone adulterers, the reason we don't require men to trim the edges of their beards or for you to build a paraphat around your house, whatever that is, is because we don't live under the law. That law was given for a specific people, the nation of Israel, for a specific purpose to show them and the rest of the world that we can never attain holiness by our own actions. We're always going to fall short. And it was given for a specific time. And when Jesus Christ came, he came to fulfill the law. The law is fulfilled. So we don't stone adulterers. We don't do those things in, in the Old Testament because we don't live under that anymore. Does that make sense? Because people always want to pull up all those Old Testament passages. Yeah, some of them are pretty rough. I grant it to you. That's pretty tough stuff in the Old Testament. But that was for a specific time, specific people, and we don't live under that. The reason God, you say, well, why God do that? He did that to, to, to show that his people were a different people. They were to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be different in how they lived and how they acted and how they worshipped. And they were to be a light to the nation, but it was also to show them that they can't attain holiness. They can't get to God on their own works and they and even though they did sacrifices they had to do it year after year after year on the day of atonement it just showed that they needed a savior a deliverer it showed the whole world that that was the point of the law it was to prepare the way for Christ so Paul says for a lot of these Jews were like oh man so if you're not a you know you didn't grow up under the law and now you become a Christian you, you're pagan now you ought to go under the law but you're telling me we don't does that mean I can just go out and sin Paul's like absolutely not here's what he says he says don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one you obey either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness all right, and Paul goes on. But thank God that although you, notice the past tense, used to be slaves of sin. Who's he talking to? The saints. Past tense. You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you which you were transferred to. And having been, look at this, liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. See, Satan's lie that he tries to foil over believers is, hey, you're just in bondage to sin. And God's truth is, you are freed from it. 
you're freed from it. Again, so one of the benefits of the saints is you're identified by God as being set free from sin. Now, again, saints do not have to sin. We have a choice. We, we can walk in freedom. Now, some saints, you say, but Jim, I know some saints who are struggling with sin. I'm not saying that they can't sin, but they don't have to sin. They can walk away and say, no. Sinners don't have a choice, folks. Sinners sin. They don't, they don't have this benefit. They're in bondage. They're the birds in the cage. That's sinners. Why? Because they've never repented. But saints have repented and God opened the door and they're free. Now they may occasionally fly back into the cage, but the door's still open in the cage. Because God says, no, you're no longer in bondage to that. You've been liberated from sin. Paul goes on, he says, I'm using a human analogy again. He says, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you offered yourselves as slaves to moral impurity, and again, this was when they were sinners, and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Why does Paul tell us to do this? Why does Paul say, don't sit here and fly back into the birdcage, fly out of the birdcage, why? Because you've been liberated from the birdcage, and what you ought to do is offer yourselves as instruments of righteousness to God. Why does he tell saints to do that? Because we can. A sinner can't. Because a sinner's never repented. We have received redemption. I was thinking, and some of us are doing a Bible study on identity, and uh, I, we read about the word redeemed, and I was thinking about the old hymn. Some of you all may know it. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed from His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever I am. Right? Remember that old hymn? That's what it's about. The birdcage has been opened. We've flown out. We're no longer in bondage to sin. Again, Satan's lie is you are trapped in sin. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, I'm just trapped in sin. I can't, no, 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 no. You bought into a lie. You're not trapped. Through Christ, through Christ, because you're his, you've been set free. You just need to lay a hold of it and walk out. Again, Satan's lie is you're a, a slave to sin, and God's truth is you're free from that. Satan wants believers, saints, to believe they cannot say no to sin, but we can. Satan wants us to believe that sin has power over us. Sin does not have power over our lives. Satan wants you to believe that you have no control. And that's not the truth. You have control. You can say no to sin. You've been freed from sin. Paul said in verse 7 right there of Ephesians 1, you have redemption. You've been set free. You are no longer in bondage. Here is another truth. You are identified by God as forgiven. You are identified by God as forgiven. God has forgiven you of your sins. Again, go back. We have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. See, here's the thing, folks. Satan is an accuser. He accuses you. We see that in Scripture. He's at the throne of God as the accuser of the brethren. 
Jesus Christ is not an accuser. He is the advocate for us. There's a difference. So if you're like, oh, I'm just so, I'm so horrible. I did this years ago and I did that. That's not from Jesus. That's from Satan. His demons, your sinful nature, your sinful flesh. That's not from Jesus. If you have repented of your sin, you're forgiven. Now that doesn't mean you may not face the consequences of those actions. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the consequences are automatically erased. David in the scriptures had to face the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba, but he was forgiven. By the way, do you know that God called David a man after his own heart after the sin with Bathsheba? You know why he did that? Because David repented and turned back to God. God said, that's the person I want. The person that repents when they sin and turns to me. That's my heart. Because I'm a God of forgiveness. I will forgive you. I will remove your sins as far as the Bible says the east is from the west. Does that mean God has amnesia suddenly? No, he still knows about them, but he doesn't hold them against you anymore. Okay, as I told you last week, and some of you may be like, when you stand before Christ, it's not going to be a judgment upon your sin. It's going to be a judgment on how you used your life for him. Our sins are already taken care of. All right, those are taken care of, past, present, and future. When God saved you, he knew the sins you committed in the past. He knows the sins you'll commit in the future. Doesn't give us a reason to go out and sin because we're saints. We should sin less. Doesn't mean we're in bondage to sin because we've been freed. It means, though, we're forgiven. So if you're walking around like, I can't be used by God because of this in the past and this in the past, and God doesn't love me because I... Look, you're forgiven. Repent. Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Doesn't hold you against it anymore. So don't hold it against yourself. Again, doesn't mean you take sin lightly because there's consequences. But as far as you and God are concerned, he forgives you when you and I repent. The word forgive literally means to carry away. To carry away. So again, remember that. Satan wants you to walk around thinking you can't be used by God because of a sin or you've committed. Look, there may be consequences and some sins do have consequences that sometimes may hinder us in some way. But at the end of the day, God has forgiven you of your sin. That's how he sees you in his son. He sees you as forgiven. That's an incredible benefit. Again, another benefit. God has identified you as being accepted. Now, real quickly, the Jews were God's chosen people, and, and he had chosen them uh, in the Old Testament for his goodwill and his good pleasure to carry out the mission. And the Jews in the Old Testament had communion with God like no other group in, in history. You know, they had the pillar, uh, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They saw God, they heard God's voice. They saw God's miracles. They saw God's deliverance from the enemies. They had received the Ten Commandments as well as all the other commandments. They knew what God desired to them. God chose the Jews as a light to the nation. And now with Jesus' 
death, burial, and the resurrection, it was clear that God had opened the door not just to the Jews who would repent and turn to his son as their savior, but also to the Gentiles, those pagan Gentiles. And so again, as I told you earlier, a lot of the Jews in the church were struggling with this, that God was letting these pagan Gentiles in there like that, you know, because these Jews had done so much in the past, and now the pagans are coming in, and they're responding to Jesus, and, and it's like they don't have to become Jews and go through all this thing. And so Paul aims the next passage, we're going to wrap this up with this, for those Jews who were struggling with this whole thought. He says this, He has made known to us God, according to the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and on earth. See, when he talks about the mystery of the will, here's the thing. Paul is saying, let me tell you guys what's happening, Jewish, my Jewish brothers, and Paul is a Jew. You who are struggling. And I know you're struggling with the Gentiles coming in and God forgiving them and them being identified as saint and them being identified as holy and blameless and adopted into God's family and free from sin and bondage and forgiven. And I know you're struggling with this because I didn't do all the stuff you did. And, but let me tell you, this is the mystery that God talked about. And it's here. And we're giving you that mystery. It's what Jesus alluded to in John when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and they will be one flock with one shepherd. Now the Jewish audience, when they first heard that, they didn't understand what it is. And Paul is saying, the Gentiles are the other sheep. Jesus is bringing into them. And they were not of my fold. In other words, they weren't Jews, but now they are. They heard my voice, they listened to my voice, and they are one flock, one shepherd. You Jews and Gentiles, you guys are all together. And, and now this is that mystery that God, that, that has been talked about and alluded to in the Old Testament. And we as the apostles are bringing you that mystery. And God is identifying them as accepted. So again, we're accepted. And he says, let me get to the next slide there. Just the next part of the verse. We've been identified as accepted. We have also an inheritance in him, predestined to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of will. In other words, this was God's predetermination before the foundation of the world. We have, God said, I'm giving you an inheritance. And this is what God wanted to do. And God planned this in Christ. And everybody is in the fold so that we who have already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory God has done this for all of us we have been accepted and when you heard the truth of the gospel of your salvation when you believed in him you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit now I'm going to pick that one up next week because this is huge we'll talk about the Holy Spirit all next week next Sunday because this is huge but you've been identified by God as accepted you've been identified by God as accepted and so he tells the Jews hey this was all the mystery of God's will and then he turns in the next couple verses but you when you heard this he's speaking now to the Gentiles when you believed you were brought into the family of God we are all accepted by God so here's my question to you this week are you claiming the benefits of your identity? If there's been a point in your life when you've responded to Jesus as your Savior, are you claiming the benefits of being in Christ? God chose before the foundation of the world that all who would put their faith in Him, He would put in Christ. 
And God chose, predetermined that your destination would be in Christ. And in that destination, he would see you as holy, blameless, adopted as his children. He would see you as forgiven. He would see you as accepted, whether you're Jew or Gentile. He would see you as set free from the bondage of sin. Are you claiming those things? Or are you walking around, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten scoundrel? <laughs> if you put your faith in Christ, that's not how God sees you. So the difference between walking around that way and saying, you know what, I know who I am in Christ. I don't have to sin. I can say no to that. Yes, sometimes I, I do sin, and when I do, I repent. But I'm glad that I'm adopted into the family of God. There's nothing I can do that will take me out of that. He chose to do that. I didn't create that benefit. He chose that before I was even born. Because when I believed and received the gospel, I'm his. I don't know about you, but as I've been grasping this truth, it has really revolutionized my life. Because I don't have to walk around wondering who I am. And like I said, we're in a spiritual warfare. Now, what Satan wants is he wants believers to go into spiritual war like, I don't know if we can do this. That's not a good soldier, right? A soldier says, we're going to take that hill. Right? Come on, boys, follow me. That's the soldiers we're called to be. And the only way you can be that kind of a soldier is having the right identity. Because identity is everything. Are you claiming those benefits? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray that those who are watching on Facebook, that if there's somebody or even in this worship room who has never responded to the good news of the gospel personally, that right now in their chair or watching by computer, they'll say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I do believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he proved it by his resurrection from the dead. Please, Lord Jesus, I'm turning from my sin and turning to you and trusting you. Save me. I pray if somebody just did that right now, or even in this room, I know this, they've walked from death to life. They have walked from darkness to light. They have walked from being a sinner to now being a saint in your sight. And for those of us who are saints, help us never to forget the benefits of our identity, who we are. And we don't need to walk around in this world in fear. We don't need to be walking around in this world beating ourselves up because of past sin. We walk around in this world in humility for all that you've done for us and in the power that you've given us through the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, this week to say no to sin, because we can. This week, Lord, may we not forget our benefits. May we not forget who we are. May we remember that you have done this for the Jews and the Gentiles, for all people who will place their faith and trust in you alone. And you did it not because of anything we did, but for your goodwill, your pleasure, your favor, 
because you loved us. Father, how can we not be thankful for that? How can we not sing to you? How can we not give to you of our time, talent, and abilities for all that you've done for us? We're not worthy. We're finite beings. We're going to be, all of us are going to be dead in the next 50 years likely in this room. We're going to be gone and in eternity. And Lord, I'm just thankful because of Christ that our eternity is secured. Thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.